Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, last weekend I did two hikes. One was a new one, which was about, oh, about six miles, 6.6 miles, and up and down around 1,300 vertical feet. Uh, started at a different location, came back to the ranch, and I was by myself. And when I'm by myself, I move very slowly and try to be as quiet as I can. And I did spot five elk, five cow elk. Also, for the first time in my life, I found a dropped elk antler. And I took it back to the cabin with me, and my wife said, Well, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll make a knife handle out of it or something like that. But it's the first time when I've been hiking that I've actually found a dropped elk antler. I found dropped deer antlers in the past, but this is my first elk antler. Then the next day, which was Monday, I went on another hike. This was seven miles and again about 1,300 vertical feet. And I noticed as I did this hike, as I started rising in elevation close to the valley floor where our summer home is at, I saw a lot of signs of elk, a lot of elk prints everywhere. And as I got higher and higher, they quit appearing. So my conclusion is that they are in the mid-range right now. They're not in the high is because the feed has not yet come out of the ground. The grass is not growing very well in the high uintas versus where we're at right now. So this is that golden time of the year in the spring where they're in our area. And as the summer goes on, they'll move up to higher elevations to, to stay relatively cool. Now, elk are nocturnal animals. You don't usually see them out during the day. So I was actually quite surprised to see the cow elk out. And they were out around, hmm, probably around 2 in the afternoon when I spotted them. And they were very close. They were within 100 yards of me. I'd actually say I got within 50 yards of them. Uh, when I saw them, I stopped so that I wouldn't... Uh, spooked them and also the wind was blowing in the right direction so they weren't catching my scent. But after the second hike my legs were shot and and the second day my legs really didn't have the energy so it took me a long time to do the hike on the second day. Well I got an email from Nelson. Nelson's actually one of my better listeners. He always comes up with suggestions for four topics for the podcast. And he wrote, uh, hi Franz, I'm guessing things are still not working out with Dylan from keep turning left. Now he wrote me in a while back and said, he gave me the link to a, a guy by the name of Dylan on a website called keep turning left and suggested that I might be able to conduct an interview with him. He does not have good internet connection and I've, I've talked to him. I haven't talked to him, but I've exchanged emails with him and he just doesn't seem to have internet connections consistent enough for us to be able to do an interview. But he did come up with another idea. He said, another subject I would like to hear more about is composting toilets. 
it would be great to hear from someone who is familiar with the most popular brands, but hearing from a rep from Airhead or Nature's Head might be informative. Thanks for your continuing contribution to the sailing community, informative, and helps make my commute more enjoyable. Well, Nelson, I did get a hold of the, well, I googled Airhead and sent an email to them. And I said, could I talk to somebody that about your product? And I got an email back fairly quickly from the owner of the company. And he said, yes, I'd be glad to have an interview with you. But I'm heading over to England for a boat show in England, which is on narrow canal boats, narrow boats in England. And when he gets back, he'll try to get a hold of me and we'll do an interview. Also, I got an email from a listener when I was talking about Croatia. And he told me that they had spent several years sailing in Croatia and they'd put together a list of waypoints, not a list, but actually a map of waypoints that our listeners are welcome to take a look at. And I posted a link on the website under cruising guides. So if you're going to Croatia and want to take a look at that, it's a map with specific waypoints of anchorages they had been. And he said, hi, just listening to your podcast of sailing from split. I sail down here every summer for about four years, normally sail about four to five months a year. A couple of years ago, a few of us put together a list of anchorages. You can see what was added here. And he gave me a link to a uh, drivegoogle.com website. And I posted it under the tab in the website called Cruising Guide. So take a look at that if you're heading over to Croatia. That might help you in, in choosing some locations to anchor. Now, an apology if you subscribe to my newsletter. I was doing a test post today. And I accidentally did a test post. I didn't think it would go out to anybody because I was trying to figure out how to overcome a problem with WordPress. And so I posted it thinking I was going to immediately delete it again. But I also this week set up an automatic newsletter release when I do a new post. So if you've signed up for the newsletter, you probably got a test newsletter email. And just ignore that. I fixed that. So when I do a post, you will get a newsletter letting you know that I've just put out a new post. Uh, if you don't like it, I guess you can unsubscribe from my email list just by clicking unsubscribe. But if you do like knowing when I put out a new post, that's just a courtesy to let you know that there's a new podcast out or a new post. But you only get on that list if you sign up for the newsletter. And by signing up for the newsletter, you do get eight free audio lessons on my basic keelboat course. That's about half of the lessons for that, that course. It's three hours and 20 minutes of audio instruction. And it'll get you through the terminology of, of sailing. It won't get you much farther than that, but it'll at least get you through the terminology of sailing and the parts on a sailboat. All right, my quick advertisement. If you are wanting to learn how to sail, I do recommend that you might purchase my audiobook on sailing, learn to sail basic keelboat certification. It's available at the website. Also, I have additional audio courses for the ASA 103, the basic cruising certification and the ASA 104, the bareboat certification. If you want to ever go and charter a boat, you do need to pass the ASA 104 if you're in the United States. And if you're in Britain or 
Europe, there's other certifications that you have to pass. But basically, it's covering about the same body of knowledge. This will help you pass the written portion of the examination. It will not help you pass the on-the-water portion of the examinations. You have to pass the on-the-water part of the examination, and you'll have to go to a testing center or take a class to do that. But this will help you get through the written portion of the exam. Those links are available at the website. You can buy it in iTunes, Amazon, or my preference is you buy it directly through the website, which will take you to a service called Gumroad. And then you'll pay me, and I get more of the money than if you do it through Amazon or iTunes that way. The price is the same. I just get a little more of it that way. Also, a heads up. I've put some links in this post today to a book that I recommend you might buy, which is called Survival Medicine by Dr. Joe Alton and his wife, Amy Alton. And if you do click on that link and buy it through Amazon, I do get an affiliate commission, full disclosure there. But it, I wouldn't put it on the website and recommend you have it unless I'm willing to pay for it myself. And I do own two copies of that book, and I talk about it in the interview. This week, I interviewed Dr. Joe Alton and just a brief conversation with his wife, Amy. And we talk about what you might want to consider to have in your medical kit on your boat. Now, I've listened to his podcast for years. He has great information. And his podcast is geared for a survival situation where you don't have access to normal medical services. Well, that sort of applies when you're doing an oceanic crossing. When you're doing an oceanic crossing, you don't really have access to modern medicine. So you're going to be reliant on whatever you brought along in your skills. So I do recommend that book. I broke this interview up into two episodes because it went a little longer than I wanted it to. So with that out of the way, let's get on to the first part of the interview with Dr. Joe Alton. I'm honored today to have Dr. Joe Alton and his wife, Nurse Amy, as guests on this podcast. They are the producers of the Survival Medicine Hour, another podcast. They're also the producers of the American Survival Radio, which is one I just discovered today. And they're the authors of a book that I recommend every sailor have on board their, their bookshelf. It's called the Survival Medicine Handbook. Dr. Alton, tell us about your bonafides. Well, I just want to let you know that, friends, uh, that we're honored to be on your show, and thank you very much for having us on there. I am Joe Alton, MD, and I am a life fellow of the American College of uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology and a retired fellow of the American College of Surgeons. And uh, as I just said, I'm retired, but my mission is a very active one. I do carry an active medical license, and uh, my mission is very simply to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Absolutely, and I'm Amy Alton. I'm actually an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife, also retired, full-time prepping, <laughs> full-time educator, and um, I'm actually going to let... Uh, Joe handle most of this interview because I think it's a little easier to ask questions. But if you have anything specific for me, I'm happy to chime in. 
Well, Amy, my wife's a registered nurse as well, and she knows what nurse practitioners do. So that's pretty impressive you've gotten that as well. So, in fact, my wife is uh, my, my medical person, but she deals with infants. She's a newborn intensive care, uh, well, actually the director of her unit now, but she was on her feet practicing for about 20 years. But she always says, when it comes to adults, I'm useless. Yeah, I actually started my nursing career before I went back for my master's degree in labor and delivery. So I am very familiar with what she's talking about and what she deals with every day. And it's amazing how many babies are saved by the actions of registered nurses in the uh, neonatal units uh, like your wife. You're absolutely right. Now, you guys are way too young to be retired. How old are you guys? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm in... um, my mid sixties. Okay, all right. Well, I guess so you can I'm, retire then. As old as I wouldn't call the hills. that mid sixties yet. Oh, he's always I'm, exaggerating right, six, his age. I'm sixty two and a half. So where, wherever the mid sixties ent- uh, begin, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> all right. Well, this is a, a podcast about sailing, and I've sailed across the Atlantic. And before I sailed across the Atlantic, I talked to my wife, and I said, "All right, put together a medical kit for me," and she put together a pretty massive medical kit and was able to get some prescription drugs and painkillers from our physician. And uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't really use any of that when I crossed the Atlantic. But but this this podcast sort of caters to the people that want to aspire to sail or may sail in outlying areas. My boat's in Turkey right now. And, and sometimes I may or may not have access to the type of products I might want to have on my boat. So let's let's sort of talk about um, what you might suggest a sailor might put in his medical kit. And we can also talk about the products that you offer on your website, because I was looking before we started, and you have some pretty massive first aid kits put together for different purposes as well. You know, we have medical kits that are meant to deal with all sorts of different issues, everything from the casual hiker or or biker to the uh, hunter to the person that's going to be in charge of the medical aspect of dealing with survival. And so we have, if you're going to be the community medic for an extended family in a grid down situation, well, then this is, these are the types of kits that you might consider. And those kits are at store.doomandbloom.net. But the for people that are going to be on on the open seas and who are going to be spending a lot of seas, it's essentially as if you were in the type of setting where there are no doctors, there are no hospitals. I mean, there may be evacuation uh, possible in some circumstances, but... In fact, it's really one of the few circumstances in normal times where you are going to be in a truly austere setting. And so you have to make do with limited supplies and you have to make be able to handle a lot of the things that can happen. And certainly on the open seas, you can certainly come upon uh, uh, rough, rough waters, uh, can toss the boat around, can toss you around. And that can lead to just about any type of injury from simple cuts and scrapes to sprains and fractures to even even a, a major bleed. So you need to have supplies on hand that are going to be able to deal with them, uh, with those issues. And, and those are sort of 
right up our alley. Those are the types of things that we design kits for, those kinds of situations. So some of the things that I think are very important uh, to start off with is uh, protection for yourself as a caregiver, or if you're giving, or even if you're giving care to yourself, honestly. Uh, and so you should always have gloves in your medical supplies, because of course your hands are usually dirty, and if you can uh, decrease, cut down on the amount of dirt and the amount of uh, disease-causing organisms that will go into, let's say, a wound. Well, obviously you're going to have a better outcome. And the types of gloves that I recommend are called nitrile gloves. Uh, you might think that latex is superior, but no, nitrile, N-I-T-R-I-L-E, are superior gloves because of the epidemic of latex allergies that we're experiencing in today's world. There are a lot of people that are allergic to latex. You personally might be allergic to latex, or the person that you might touch with your latex gloves might be allergic to latex and cause reactions that may affect the recovery of that person from whatever you're taking care of them for. Other things that are very important would be to have antiseptics, and there are a lot of different ones. Of course, you want to have uh, some bottles of uh, alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, but you might consider having some betadine, otherwise known as povidone iodine solution. And there is something else called chlorhexidine. I'm using the scientific names of some of, this, of some of these because I'm sure some of your listeners are not from the U.S. And so I'm going to give them as many names as possible that are sort of generic names that they will be able to find and, and stay away from the brand names. The brand name for chlorhexidine in the United States is Hibiclens. So these are antiseptics that are very important to have. You have to, just like you... You, disin you want to disinfect uh, the counter surfaces of your galley. You certainly are going to want to uh, disinfect areas of wounds that may be contaminated with dirt or other, other debris. So those are things that are going to be very important. You might have, for, for wounds especially, you need to have something like a bandage scissors or an EMT shears. Those, these are scissors that have a blunt end, and the blunt end allows you to cut through clothing to see what the extent of a wound is without actually cutting the person themselves. And so it's sort of, a, I guess they would be called, they're a type of safety glass, uh, safety scissors, excuse me. But this is something that you absolutely have to have as part of your kit. And now you have to start thinking, now that you have your hand protection, now that you are able to uh, disinfect a wound, and now that you're able to see the extent of the wound, then we it goes to basically the types of wounds that you're actually concerned about dealing with. Now, of course, as a, a sailor, you already know the importance of sunscreen to deal with burns, uh, sunburns, and things like that. That is actually, I guess, very basic, and I, I can't imagine uh, any sailor that would not have that. If you don't, please get it. Lip balms and and things like that are important, but there are also the ability. There's also the ability to wind up with a real burn if you wind up uh, having a mishap with the engine or other other circumstances. And so you need to have some burn gel. Uh, this is a combination of lidocaine and a type of petroleum jelly. Petroleum jelly by itself, by the way, is excellent for burns. You put it on uh, some gauze dressings and you have a very reasonable burn dressing 
with, uh, that you can use that would help to protect an area that is injured. Make sure you have some non-stick dressings because those things are painful to get off if you happen to have a burn. Now, let's see, what else can we talk about? Oh, well, okay, bleeding. I think bleeding is a big issue, friends, and uh, there are always a, a circumstance where you might come upon an injury or have an injury that occurs on your craft that winds up causing some severe bleeding. If that happens, then you are far away from land, you're far away from medical help, and it just takes a few minutes to actually die from hemorrhage in certainly the open, either in the wilderness or, or in, on the open sea. So you've got to have materials that are going to help you deal with bleeding and deal with bleeding quickly. So these are some of the things that I would like you to have for that. I want you to have a tourniquet. That would be a start now. In the old days, very sort of wary about using tourniquets. In the old days, they, they felt that it caused more problems than it solved. But the truth of the matter is, is that that thinking has completely turned around. Right now, the uh, tactical combat casualty care guidelines, and this is from the military, actually tells you that to consider a, a tourniquet in any significant bleed as one of the first things that you actually do, put it, put on a tourniquet to slow down the bleeding because indeed, uh, as they say in, in, in the military, there's a golden hour where if you don't get care within the first hour after a major injury, well, then your chances of survival decrease. If in a major bleed, it's actually the platinum five minutes. And you have to stop that wound and you have to st stop that bleeding. You have to stop it fast. So there are a lot of different tourniquets. And my favorite is something called the soft T, the SOF apostrophe, uh, SOF hyphen T. And that's, called, that's the Special op, op Forces Tourniquet. And this tourniquet is actually very easy. I, I can actually place it on myself with one hand and do it with enough, uh, enough tension to stop even arterial bleed. So the Soft T is an excellent, excellent tourniquet. There are others that are very good. The Combat Application Tourniquet or Cat Tourniquet. If uh, uh, some of your listeners have been in the a military, they would probably be uh, very acquainted with that. Uh, a member of the military has developed one recently called the SWAT tourniquet. And the SWAT tourniquet is named actually by, for its instructions, actually very good for someone who has no experience placing a tourniquet because the instructions are the name SWAT, stretch S, wrap W, and A, tuck, T U C K. So Therefore, that is the entire thing you do. You take this, essentially what looks like a huge rubber band, and you place it around the bleeding extremity, and you just stretch it as tight as it goes, then go around again, stretch it as tight as, tight as it goes, and go around again, and then just tuck it in at, at the end. And it's also a very, it's very useful uh, for that purpose, or even as a pressure dressing to cover a wound as well. So these are some of the, the tourniquets that I think are a good idea. Now... You need to have lots of dressings. You have to have dressings that uh, you can roll around an extremity. So roller gauze is one type. You need to have small dressings. They come in usually four by four inch 
squares, and you might need some big dressings too, depending on the type of wound. And there, there are even infantry trauma dressings that are 10 by 30 inches. So there are, have a variety and a, ex, a good quantity of these types of bandages. One special one that I, re I really want to make sure I mention, because of course, on a boat, you are, have a lot of limitations with regards to the amount of space you have. So consider what we call compressed gauze dressings. Um, the comp a company called H and H actually makes these, and they are essentially maybe one inch by uh, three inch squares. Uh, they're vacuum packed, but when you open them up, they fold, they fluff out until uh, to four inch by twelve feet long uh, gauzes. So they're, they actually weigh nothing. They absolutely are very space conscious, base, space conservative. So you need to have a bunch of these on there because even one hemorrhagic wound can easily take up all of your gauze dressings. Now I'm going to stop for a second because I'm, friends, I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely uh, monopolizing uh, all the time, all the time there, and I'm sure your listeners want to hear from you. Well, that's what I like. I like somebody to just talk until they run out because I don't <laughs> want to get in the way when you have some good ideas coming out. But let's talk about a few things we you you mentioned. Nitrile gloves. My wife, as as I told you, was a is a nurse, and she became allergic to latex, and uh -huh. so you're preaching to the the choir on that one. So she can't even touch uh, latex, even if it's not the gloves, just latex in general makes her get hives now. So that's, uh, that's, that's a good advice there. In my workshop, I keep a big box of nitrile gloves that I just buy from, uh, home, uh, from Costco. I just have a big box of nitrile gloves when I'm working and getting greasy. So it's, it's good to have those around. Even when working on your, uh, a box of those just when you're working on your engine. It keeps your hands nice and clean. So I like those a lot. Let me tell you the few medical issues I've had on my boat. When I sailed across the Atlantic, we didn't have any serious injuries. But one of my crew members, as we were approaching the Azores, we got caught in a pretty bad storm. And they were both on the foredeck, and one guy almost fell over, and, and Bruce reached out and grabbed Stan. Stan was a guy that almost fell over pulled him back on board and in the in the process really hurt his shoulder badly and uh you know when you're on a boat you need to have two hands just to stay stay upright especially as as bumpy as it was but uh so there wasn't really much we could do for him all we could do was put him in the bunk and try to immobilize his arm for a while because those are the sort of injuries that you really can't do much with uh except maybe put some cooling packs on so maybe cooling packs or heating pads might be something that would be good to have on board as well. The other thing that I think that might you might have problems with is an accidental jive where the boom would hit a person in the head and cause a concussion. And and the engine fire, the the the, the fire, the burn burn ointments you talked about. When we were approaching the Azores, there was a boat called Talon, T A L O N that put out a mayday call. We, we heard the mayday call, but we weren't in a position or weren't close enough to render assistance. And this was a big mega yacht. This is one of the white fleet that you see down in Florida a lot that goes back and forth. And it had had an engine fire. 
And when we got into Horta Azores, that boat had been tied up to the dock. And uh, I went over and talked to the crew and they'd had to medevac a couple of their crew members because they had an engine fire and they fought, fought the fire. We were able to overcome it, but some people were seriously burned in the process. So on a boat, I always tell people fire is the, the greatest danger you have on a boat because there's, there's no, <laughs> nowhere to run on a nowhere boat. Nowhere to run away from the fire, Abs- absolutely. So, of course... If you think about it, the medical supplies for that also, besides treating uh, burns, would be, of course, to have, you know, lots of fire extinguishers. And, of course, your, 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 your listening audience knows basically what, what they should have for the size boat that, that they have. I wanted to just, I, I'm going to talk about orthopedic injuries, which I think, which is actually next on my list. I have one last thing that I think that, might be a good idea for bleeding injuries. And I did want to just get that out before I move on to orthopedic. And that is, I want your listeners to have hemostatic agents as part of their medical kit. And a hemostatic agent is basically some substance that is known to cause clotting. And basically what it does is it, it could take even an arterial bleed and stop it by applying this material and some pressure. And so the uh, material that I, I want them to consider, some of them have heard of something called quick clot. I want them to consider something called Cellox, C-E-L-O-X. It's a British-made uh, item, and it basically comes in uh, gauze that's impregnated with these granules, or it comes in syringes, for uh, in which you can uh, insert into a bleeding area and these things will stop bleeding i mean they'll stop bleeding cold with about two to three minutes worth of pressure even if you let's say lacerated your femoral artery or what you know i'm talking about a major artery it will stop it and, and the reason why i know this is uh one of uh my listeners uh, to the Survival Medicine Hour and uh, American Survival Radio is uh, a purchasing agent for the Navy in Hampton, Virginia. And he actually has, uh, uh, the Navy is going to be switching to Silox in the near future. And the reason why he chose to do that is he actually strung up an adult pig and he shot it in the femoral artery with uh, a handgun. And that causes, you can imagine, a great deal of bleeding. And so what he did is he opened up the cellox, applied it to the wound with some pressure, and the bleeding stopped. Now, quick clot will do that. However, what he did next is something that probably wouldn't occur with quick clot. And what he did was he shot the pig's other leg, other femoral artery, and he took the dressing out. He took the cellox out of the first bleeding wound and he put it in the second bleeding wound, applied pressure. It stopped that bleeding without the first bleeding restarting. So, so, so this is, this is significant stuff if, and, and it can really help somebody that's on the open sea. Help is definitely not on the way and there is a major bleed. So it's called Cellox. It comes um, in a number of different things. You'll find that, uh, that you can find that also on our store, um, but get it anywhere. Uh, Store.doomandbloom.net's our store. And this is, I think, an item that has to be in every maritime 
uh, medical kit. So make sure you have that. Uh, Cellox also will, by the way, stop bleeding in people that are on blood thinners. So it's very useful for that. The gauze actually, can, if you wet the gauze, it becomes a sort of a gel-like um, dressing that's very good. You can even apply it on third-degree burns uh, for protection. And so it's, it's a great item to have, especially an important item for sailors. Now let's go on to... Uh, well, well, let me stop you on the Cellox for a second, because I was actually looking at buying some for myself uh, actually just this week. And oh. so I was actually on, on Amazon, not at your site, because I didn't know you sold it on your site. But there's, there's a lot of different variations. You've got uh, different size of packets that you can buy. You have syringes that you can insert. You have this, the gauze that you have. Which one or which, which ones of those do you recommend for a kit? If you expect uh, an injury in which a hunk of skin might be torn off, then you want to have the biggest item, the, the biggest form available. We have uh, some that are 4 feet by 10 feet long. So that's the and gauze you're talking about. There. That's the Cellox gauze. Okay. We also have Cellox, what they call ribbons, and those are only about an inch long. They're also, and I think they're 5 feet long. And, for example, if you were stabbed with a knife, or if you were shot with a, a handgun, and that could be placed in an entry wound or in, into a stab wound. In the, um, the syringe is actually useful if you have a wound, let's say, in, in your abdomen, let's say. You might consider putting it there. Or if also an entry wound would also, uh, for, uh, let's say, uh, a bullet. That's something that would uh, be useful for that. So... The, the truth of the matter is, is that the type that you get really depends on the type of wound that you're most likely to encounter in your travels. And that really is going to depend. I mean, if you're uh, sailing off the coast of Somalia, you may want to have the ribbon or, or, or the syringe because you might, you might wind up getting shot by some pirates there. Who knows? But uh, if, if you're concerned about an explosion on the boat or... For some major trauma in which, let's say, a flap of skin may be, may be torn off you, then you would want the bigger stuff. Okay. And what about just the granules? Would you use those very often, or would you more likely use the gauze? Uh, the gauze is easier to work with, I think, but the uh, granules, uh, especially the ones that come in the syringe, are very, and that's called Celox A, A for applicator, because it comes with an applicator. Uh, that that's something again for a small bore wound. I would I would prefer that. It's easier to deal with. the 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 bigger, wider gauzes are are more difficult to place. You have to actually sort of cut them to size to get them into smaller bleeding wounds. Yeah, I've I've always had Cellox. Uh, my I had some in my car. My car was broken into, and that was one of the, my medical kit was stolen, so I haven't replaced that. So that was why I was actually looking at it this week. And I always try to carry some of that. What about the Israeli battle dressings? Could that be used as a tourniquet? Are you? I'm sure you're familiar yes. with those. Yes, as a matter of fact, that is uh, very useful not only for dealing with uh, wounds that are bleeding, but also it's very good for orthopedic purposes. Let's talk about what you would do with, with the Israeli battle dressing. The Israeli battle dressing is essentially an elastic wrap with a sterile elastic wrap uh, with a, a pad, a dressing pad that's sort of built into it. 
and it has a plastic pressure applicator. It almost looks like a, almost like a little hinge. And so what you what you do is you put the pad directly on the bleeding area, and then you wrap around, place it through the hinge, and then you turn the wrap the opposite direction. And every time that you do that, if you apply it with you know, if you stretch it with tension, like you might the, the swap tourniquet, you apply more and more pressure. Now, you can twist it as you, as you wrap, and if you do that, that applies even more pressure. And, as, and if even that isn't enough, what you can do is you can take the uh, closure clip, which is right at the end, and ordinarily, if you don't need pressure, it's just meant to just secure the uh, dressing in place. You can place it under the, the, the last fold, and then twist it until you get the amount of pressure you want. Now, I think it's I think it's an excellent item to have. I think you should have multiple items if you are uh, going to be uh, sailing and not going to be uh, near uh, uh, medical help. But the you have to have a tourniquet in addition. You can you can put a lot of pressure on with that, but it still might not be enough. Remember that if that. If a tourniquet is not applied perfectly, you still might be bleeding. Matter of fact, that's why they recommend that people have two tourniquets. And you place the second, if, if the tourniquet doesn't stop the bleeding, place the second tourniquet two or, uh, or three inches above the first. Okay. All right. So, so let's see. Let's, um, I was talking about, ortho, uh, I wanted to talk about orthopedic in, uh, supplies because I really think that that's going to be hopefully more common or, or hopefully none of these are going to be common, but uh, probably more likely to see than, you know, a major bleed. So things that I think are very useful are, of course, um, ace wraps. The, uh, I think it's important to have slings. So these, uh, you could either have bandanas, but make them long bandanas, uh, you know, pretty good size bandanas. Or you can just get what they call triangular bandages. And these triangular bandages are very long. They're made of uh, gauze, so they're not... Uh, you're not terribly thick or anything like that, but they come with a safety pin and you can easily wrap it in such a fashion so that you can immobilize that arm, for example, that shoulder that your, your uh, shipmate was, uh, had injured. That kind of injury, by the way, is very common and is probably a torn labrum, which is one of the main ligaments in the shoulder. I've had one of those myself. And uh, I can tell you it's, it's no fun, and it takes a while to get better from. Uh, let's see. We got uh, that. I want you to have splints, too. Well, for, oh, you mentioned something very important earlier that I think is absolutely you have to have. You have to have these disposable ice packs. So these are sort of shake-and-break packs. You just smack them or you just squeeze them, and they pop, and they get cold. I, you should have multiples of those in your your pack uh, in your uh, medical kit. There are also reusable ice packs that can also double as heat packs. If you if you have power, you can put them uh, in hot water and you can warm them up, and they, they they can provide heat as well as cold. If you put them in the refrigerator or the freezer, they can they can get cold. So have the disposable ones at your you know so that you'll have lots of those available. But there are reusable ones too, uh, if if you need them. Of course, blisters are, are an issue, of course, a big issue on, on hikes. I don't know. You might have blisters on your hands if you're sailing, 
I don't know if that if that's something that happens. You're, you're probably uh, going to get rope burns more than blisters. that's what I'm. Yeah, rope burns and things like that. So if you've got hot spots, then you might consider applying some moleskin for some protection there. That's something I think that is very useful. A cervical collar, a neck collar, uh, might be useful as well. There are some people that uh, get turned around and wind up uh, injuring their neck. That would be a, a good thing to do, and especially. Uh, if there's any serious injury, you want, might want to, as a precaution, put a neck collar on, on people. The, the Israeli bandage that you had mentioned, Franz, is very useful in that you can use the Israeli bandage to stabilize a either broken limb or a, very, a severe sprain uh, with a splint. And the type of splints that I think are excellent, you might consider having, is are the uh, SAM splints, and SAM splints are uh, short for structural aluminum malleable uh, splints, and these come in either rolls or or just flat. They're 36 inches by usually four to uh, probably four to six inches, and um, you can sort of shape them to either uh, fit the configuration of an arm, and then you put the Israeli battle dressing around the arm, uh, around the splint and the arm, and stays in place. Or you can take a couple of these Israeli dressings and actually, uh, and a couple of these splints, and actually immobilize uh, even a whole, an entire leg pretty well. So these are items that are absolutely, I think, necessary for the type, uh, for, for, for the listeners that you have. Thanks for listening. If you do me a favor, if you like this podcast, tell your friends about it. I'm trying to build up my listening audience. And if you really want to do me a big favor, go into the iTunes directory or whatever podcast directory you found out about this podcast from and write a review. I really appreciate those that have taken the time to do that. If you have some suggestions for future shows, drop me a note and I will try to follow up on it. Get out there and go sailing. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? Thank you.